If you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of Ezra. We're going to take a a jet ride view through Ezra's chapter 5 and 6 this evening because they deal with the same subject. And that is the building of the temple of the Lord. I won't be reading all of that text to you. We'll look at sections of it as we go through. But I'd like to begin by reminding you of a text that I think is very familiar to many of us. It's the beginning of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. This is often a a couplet of verses that we use thinking about the home and the family. Of course, following verses speak about children being a heritage from the Lord. But I think sometimes... We acknowledge that in principle, and yet we act on a daily basis as if unless we build the house, the Lord plans in vain. And that's the trouble here facing the people of Israel as they come back now to rebuild the temple. Very briefly this evening, I'd like us to see three things about their building. First, the frustration they experience as they rely on themselves. And second, the faith that they have then in the Lord and His work that sees that work completed. And then third and finally, the fruition of the plan and the work of the Lord God Himself. Let's begin then by looking at the frustration that they experience. You see that chapter 5 begins this way. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah the son of Iddo prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Zozadiek arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. I don't know if a more compact, efficient, slimmed-down description in the Bible that could be found than these two verses. Because you see, in these two verses that we can pass over very quickly, yeah, there were some guys who were prophesying. Yeah, 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 they supported the Jews. Our two books of the Bible, the book of Haggai and the book of Zechariah, And an extended period of time in which nothing was being done because the Israelites had abandoned the work of building the temple. And they had to be shamed back into it by the declamations of the prophet. What had started out so grandly now had been gradually abandoned. If you look at the beginning of the book of Haggai, chapter 1, we see that in the first few verses he is telling the Israelites that apathy has set into their life. Don't you want to complete what you were called to do? Why are you bored with building the temple? And then beyond apathy, they then begin to have the wrong priorities. He says, what are you doing? You imported wood to be put on the temple and you're using it for siding on your houses. What are you thinking? 
And you're losing out on all of the blessings that can come to you from a sign and a place for the corporate worship of God. But now the work had begun again. It is slow and it is hard. They, for four years, are laboring and not seeing much done. And a realization has set in to the Jews that what is happening here is not a failure. But what is happening here is a need that they have failed to recognize. That they were trying to do this by their own schemes, with their own priorities, in their own ways, trying to do it without God. They started out trying to do God a favor. And quickly, they got tired and abandoned the work. If we're not careful, we face those same temptations, don't we? We're all fired up to do evangelism. We're going to help God. We're going to bring people into the kingdom. We're going to memorize whole books of the Bible. And we're going to do this. And we run smack dab into life, don't we? Kids get sick. We get tired. We get busy at work. Things fall off. We say to ourselves, we are going to be the greatest prayer warriors God has ever seen. Every day I'm going to get up at 5.30 in the morning so that I don't have any distractions and I know exactly what I'm doing. And the first day at 5.30 we pop out of bed eager and we pray. And the second day we hit the snooze button. And the third day we hit the snooze button three times. And the fourth day we've forgotten why we were getting up so early to start with. Because you see... It is not the thing being done. It is seeking to do it in our own power and authority. And now the Israelites are confessing that really the problems are theirs, not God's. And the solution is God's, not theirs. Look with me at chapter 5 and verse 12. They are writing back. I want you to understand this. They are writing back to a pagan king and authority. The pagans have said, what in the world are you doing building this? And so they said, see, I know this trick too. Verse 12 of chapter 5 says, Well, dear king, we are the most honorable of all servants of the Lord God. And we do everything he tells us all the time. And if you pagans would not get in our way, we could really do great things for God. Right? See, I've got a bad translation of the Bible up here too. But you see, what is it that they do say? They say, what's happened is because our fathers angered the God of heaven. And he gave them over to Babylon, to destruction. However, in the first year of Cyrus the king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that we should be rebuilding this temple. You see, they say, the problem here is ours. We failed. The solution is God's. In spite of our sin, he redeemed us. He restored us. He's provided for us. And we need to understand that as the people of God right now in the 21st century. We need to repent of trying to build the house of God for ourselves. The Lord will not have us build His house so we have better politics. And we have more money. And we have more power. He will build His house for His glory. And when it is done... We will confess that it was He that did it. That left to ourselves, we would have made a complete mess of it. But the Lord God is faithful. You see, 
They realize that they need to get to work because God is in control. We see this in verse 16. Then this Sheshabar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it has been in building and it is not yet finished. Because God has started this work, because God has empowered us, because God is behind us, we will work. I have preached this to you before and I will preach it again now. The sovereignty of God is no excuse for the laziness of His people. Because we know God is sovereign, because we know God is in control, we labor with more energy and zeal, for we know the outcome is certain. People say all the time, why would you bother, as believers in the sovereignty of God, to evangelize? If God wants to save the Jews, He'll do it. But we say, we know God has His people. And so when we evangelize, that's like shooting fish in a barrel. We know victory is there. And so we go to the effort even all the more because we expect success. And that is the way that the believers here in this day took then to the work of building the temple. They became frustrated. They became frustrated not just with themselves, but with others. There was interference because, you see, Satan does not give up easily. He had sought to undermine Israel and was part of the process that caused them leaving the Lord and the destruction of the two kingdoms. He then sought to oppose and prevent the return of Israel to the land. And now he has sought to oppose the building of this temple. We saw this in chapter 4, didn't we? And it's a formidable opposition. You see what happens here? There is, in verse 6, Tetanai, the governor... And his associates and all these other people, this grand emissary group comes to oppose this building. They want to know what's going on. And you see, they're very reasonable in their concerns. They say, what are you doing with all these big stones? What are you doing with all this wood? Really? You're building a place of worship? I don't think so. Because, you see, you have to understand that in the first two years of the reign of King Darius, there were revolts everywhere. He spent much of the beginning of his reign, he reigned for 37 years, so he was good at it, much of the beginning of his reign crushing rebellions. So you can imagine his governors are a little bit suspicious. That's very similar to what we face here today, isn't it? Oh, really? You really just want to read your Bible and pray. Oh, yeah. You really aren't trying to lock people up, are you? You're really just trying to follow God's Word. No, you're not trying to use your authority and to suppress other people, are you? You see, they're skeptical. There's opposition built into that to the church because, you see, they have no understanding of what is going on. They don't even understand why this is important to the people of God. They want God to be on their terms. Do you see what they say here in verse 8? Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah to the house of the great God that is being built with stones. You see, the Persians were the ultimate assimilators. They would find a God of the land and they would honor him. After all, isn't that why Cyrus started this building? This is a good Hebrew God. You know the God in Jerusalem as opposed to the God in Damascus, as opposed to the God in Babylon. But do you see how the church responds to this opposition? 
They respond in faith. They set the record straight. Do you see how Israel describes God in verse 12? He is not the great God. He's not the God of Israel. He's not the God of Jerusalem. He is the God of heaven and earth. There's a lot packed into that. You see, Persians, he's your God, too. He's not a local deity. He's the God of everything. And this great God works in the hearts of his people and in the circumstances of this building. And the first thing that he does is he works by his preventive providence. He prevents bad things from happening to them. You see, the work is attempted to be stopped by the Persian officials, but the The Israelites say, no, no, no. We have a decree that says that we're allowed to build. Go look it up. And by the way, while you're looking it up, we're going to keep working. And you see, God here prevents a bad thing from happening to the Jews and to the work. Do you think about what God prevents? You see, I think it's easy for us to think about all of the things God does for us. Have you thought about what he has prevented from happening in your life? All the accidents that haven't happened to you. All the calamities that have not come upon you. That's all by the grace of God. It's not because you're lucky. It's because of the work of God in providence. But more than providence, God gives provision for the building here. They search this royal archives in chapter 5, verse 17. It's not as easy as it sounds. They have to go to different places. They actually find it in a different city, the city of Ekpatana. It's kind of out in the boondocks a bit. It's not where they expected it to be. And they pull out this decree, and it's very surprising. Not only did Cyrus give permission, he gave him a paycheck, too. Break out the checkbook and start paying for these things. I imagine Tantai is sorry he asked, because now he's got to come up with the money to fund this. And not just paying for the building, as we see in chapter 6 and verse 4, but also the sacrifices that are to occur that we see in verse 9. You are to provide for them in their worship. I'm reminded of that wonderful twist of providence. Do you remember when Moses' parents were so frightened that they were going to lose their child because of the decree of Pharaoh? Any boy would be killed. And they wondered what they could possibly do. And by faith... Hebrews tells us they kept Moses and did not give him up because he was a proper child. And for some months they kept him. And then finally, by faith, they put him in the ark and set him out on the Nile where it just so happened that Pharaoh's daughter was. And it just so happened that she saw the baby. And it just so happened that he cried at exactly the right time. She takes him up. She says, well, I need someone to take care of him. Is there anyone here who could? Oh, You, woman, Moses' mother, would you please take care of this boy? I'll pay you to do it. And God not only preserves Moses and allows his mother to raise him, but she gets a reward for it. You see, that is how the Lord works. He provides for his people. The third thing that we see here, if we trust in the Lord, is not just his provision, Not just his prevention, but also his plan. Look with me at verse 14. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying 
of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished their building by the decree of Cyrus of Persia and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. We all expect that. We've seen the decrees. They've been read to us. But I skipped something, didn't I? It's not just by the decree of kings. It is initially and primarily by the decree of God. Everything else happens because of the decree of God. God is at work with His people. The third and final thing that we see is that God brings His plan to fruition. And that is not always what we expect or what we think we deserve, but it is His decree and providence. You see, what happens here is we begin inevitably comparing this temple with the other temple. You remember the story how when the foundation was laid, some cried with joy and some wept because it was so much less than the first temple? We get an idea of this here. Look at verse 17. They offered at the dedication of this house a hundred bulls, two hundred rams, four hundred lambs as an offering. Sounds wonderful and marvelous, doesn't it? Until we remember 1 Kings 8, 63. That Solomon offered as peace offerings 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. And all of a sudden we're struck with the smallness. And we realize that we're not as great as we think we are. But the Lord is in the small as he's in the large. The scripture tells us to not despise the day of small things. And I encourage you today, as you go out and you witness, as you teach, as you encourage others, do not be overly concerned that we are not as powerful or as influential in America and in the world as you wish we were. That is not your problem. That's God's problem. He's taking care of it. He has his plan. He has his decree. You see, finally, although there is this comparison that in some sense depresses us, we look at this temple, it is smaller, there's no more any Ark of the Covenant. They're not going to find it in some desert in Egypt. There's no Urim, there's no Thummim, there's no manna, there's no Aaron's rod that blossomed, there's no table with the Ten Commandments on it. But at the end of the day, there is celebration for the people of God because there is a temple and God is with them. In Psalm 137, they say that they could not sing the song of the Lord because there was no joy in Babylon. They took up their harps and they hung them up on the shelf because they said there is no cause for joy. As a matter of fact, many did not even come back to the Holy Land from Babylon because they said, what's the purpose? But you see here now, God has restored His people. He is restoring His temple. He is restoring the worship of the true and living God before our very eyes. And all of this is done now in a way for the world to see this dedication of the temple brings about great joy to the people of God. You've heard of the Jewish celebration of Hanukkah, time of joy. Of gladness. Do you know what Hanukkah means? It means dedication. It's exactly what they did. They dedicated the temple. 
You see, this is a cause for rejoicing. To know that God is among His people. And if God is among His people and we are trusting in Him by faith, then no matter what else happens, we have cause for rejoicing. This is the work of the true and living God among His people as He builds His church, as He builds the house. Trust in Him. He will never fail you. He will never forsake. 